Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. Office politics is definitely a thing. TV shows have been made around it and even in a more flexible or work from home friendly world, I've decided this episode has to be dedicated to the politics of offices. My guest on this topic is Brendan Rogers, who I met around three years ago when we both crossed paths as non-executive directors on an independent school board. Brendan has experienced firsthand how poor leadership negatively impacts the performance of employees and ultimately limits the growth potential and profitability of the business. As a result of this experience, he's dedicated his life's work to improving the global workforce engagement figure of just 13%. With a combined 25 years experience working in multinational companies and providing consulting services, he is very versed in leading people and coaching leaders and their teams to maximize their performances. This experience has allowed him to work in a number of industries such as government, not-for-profits, health, product and services, shipping, mining, education and real estate. He is a practicing Lean Six Sigma Greenbelt and holds a diploma in project management and work has led him to international far-flung places of the world, remember when we could travel, to the United Kingdom, India, China, PNG, New Zealand and Numea. The combination of business and real-life experience has given Brandon that special ability to work with and relate to leaders on all levels. He helps leaders who want to become more effective and their teams to become less dysfunctional. He's also the co-founder of LinkedIn Local Central Coast, which is currently the largest LinkedIn local networking event in Australia. He has the number one goal of improving people's lives at work, and I welcome him to the show. Hello, Brendan. Hey, Amber. Nice to reconnect. Thanks for the introduction. Absolutely. Now we're both locals. It makes sense for us to connect. Both coasties, aren't we? Although we're not real coasties, we're sort of immigrant coasties. (laughs) hybrid coasties. We are, we Uh, are. (laughs) I'd like to start um, back a few years, I guess, for you. As a kid, did you have a dream job and did that actually happen? Absolutely. I had a dream job and it sort of happened. My dream job was being in teams. The only thing with it though was when I was a 10-year-old kid, the team that I wanted to be in was Liverpool Football Club. That I was going to say, I had a feeling sport was going to come into this. <laughs> so, look, it's very obvious that part didn't happen. Uh, I still love Liverpool Football Club, but unfortunately, I've never uh, never donned the jersey as a player. I love my football. Um, look, it really, I was involved in a lot of sport as a young child, like lots of kids back then, I suppose. Cricket, football, swimming, cross country, all those sorts of things. What I didn't realize at the time, there was just something about working with people that intrigued me. Uh, So I was good at them and I won things, but it was an individual thing mainly. And I just gravitated to teams and I just love that exhilaration that achieving things with people together gave me. And I guess that's what I took into my corporate career. So as I said, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much sort of doing the job that I love doing, which is within teams and helping teams and working within teams, it's just a different environment, mostly with organizations and working in offices. 
Absolutely. It's that old saying, dream work makes the dream work, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. If only people backed up some of those words with actions more often, then uh, probably the working environments would be a much better place for most people. Look, the office dynamics are a tricky one for many. Look, what makes an office toxic? And is it just about the top-down leadership or what else matters in, in making an environment less toxic, more functional? Look, it's a fantastic question, Amber, and to me, the answer is really, really simple. Once again, the application of it is the challenging part. That point about does it start with the leaders, my 100% belief is yes. I'm a very, very big advocate of that saying, culture is a reflection of leadership. So to me, you have to start there. And there's really two simple perspectives I take, and it's really back to the intent where you could say the motivation of a leader, somebody leading people. And that really sits in, are they a leader who serves others or are they a leader who serves himself? And what you find, and unfortunately, there is probably a lot more emphasis and you hear about a lot more leaders in the terms of their serving themselves. And when you're serving yourself, then you make decisions based on that intent and based on that motivation. And that intent is not always, often not the thing that is best for the team, which then just flows right through to the team that you're leading. Why would they put the team first if their leader's not putting the team first and they seem to be putting themselves first? When you have a leader like that, then that behavior, those actions, those things that back up the way that your motive is leading, it really damages the trust in teams and you know as well as I do and I think everybody knows if you haven't got a level of trust in amongst a group of people then you have really no foundation for quality teamwork Uh, and that's that's really at the root in my opinion of office politics there's another side to it and that's more around the individual and that word humility comes into that so people that are not humble let's say there's a couple of sides to not being humble. But one of the key things, again, back to that motive is serving me, putting my own interests first, as opposed to the interests of the team. And that is what underpins a lot of the office politics that we see today. Absolutely. Can you succeed in your career without office politics playing a part? I mean, you obviously love working in teams and collaborating by the sounds of all the work that you do across different businesses and industries. And it's been a theme you've said since you were a kid, baby. Why or why not is office politics just there and we've just got to deal with it? Yeah, well, I like to think that we don't have to deal with it, but people just don't want the hassle of having to deal with it. Uh, and that's from a, from a leader level, that's from a people in teams level. And, and look, depending on where we sit in the organisation, there are levels of influence or uh, levels of influence that we don't have. I think when you work through this process of office dynamics, it really comes back to the state of the organisation, does it? Because we're talking culture here and When a leader or an organization values person putting their own interests first against teamwork, and I'm a big believer that teamwork is a strategic decision, it's you've got to be deliberate about creating high-performing teams. I would like to say and flip it on its head a bit is that I really wish that people and organizations wouldn't succeed if politics was around that would be a great place to be because there'd be some more intent about removing politics and, again, putting decisions of the team first ahead of yourself. But that's not reality. I've worked in you know, a number of global organisations and you know, the culture has been okay, 
But sometimes the decisions that organisations make, and these are a much bigger strategic decisions, and I'll talk about one organisation specifically, I'm not going to name them, but they have a program which involves bringing in, I guess, the best people from some of the most quality, uh, high esteemed university areas in the UK. So Oxford's and Cambridge and all that sort of stuff. Very, very smart people, you know, very, very driven in achieving what they want to achieve. They're also very good people. They're just great people to be around. They have some common sense around people. They get on well with people. They understand how their behaviors and things impact on others. But the thing that they they most struggle with is again that word humility. Again, they're very because they're so driven, they're good with people, they're always looking to move ahead, but they move themselves ahead at the detriment of potentially the people they're leading. And it's almost like they're on this road to glory. And as long as they don't screw up and be connected to stuff that screw ups and distance themselves to that, then they'll stay on that journey to success. I don't believe the organization deliberately set that sort of environment up, but by nature of the people that they were looking for, the behaviors that they valued, then it created this environment of office politics that probably was, un, it was unnecessary, but it started to, or it was always detracting from the level of teamwork that was needed. So how, if you have got people in a, in a group and people are putting their own interests first, that deteriorates trust. Well, how are you going to have conversations with people that you need to have? How are you going to collaborate with people? Because collaboration is all about high trust environments. You're going to hold back from things that you really want to say because you're worried that that could be used against you at some point in time. So bringing it right around, organizations succeed really, really well with politics. That's unfortunate. Can you survive in organizations that are highly political charged, I suppose? Yes, you can. And sometimes you fall in the trap of playing that game. But you also find that over time, if you're not that sort of person, those situations will drain you. The organization uh, will be like sucking the blood out of you and you'll need to move on and you'll go and find an organization. Yeah, and we, I'm sure we've all had those experiences where we just know it's not the place for us and time's up. So it's good, Absolutely. good to know that as well. So in your experience, is there a way to set up an office physically or culturally so that teams can learn to trust each other faster? We talked about trust being really key and therefore can be more productive and even happier places to be in. Yeah, look, again, I think there there definitely is. One of the things that I found really fascinating a number of years ago actually was why did I seem to have better relationships with people that I was sitting close to in the organisation? It seems just well, you're near them and, you know, so you're having conversation about lots of things, you get to know them as people. Well, there's actually some science around that. And the science says and the research that supported it was if you are within a vicinity of eight meters of people, then your interaction is really, really high. So the conversation you're having, the getting to know you, uh, just understanding each other as people and caring about each other as people is, is right up there. As soon as you start to go out from that eight meters, the, the research said that you started to really drop in the interaction level. So it doesn't mean to say that if you've got remote teams in place and you're, you're much further than eight metres away and international teams, wherever, that you can't set that up, but you have to be far more deliberate about it. So creating space, being deliberate about creating time where people connect, particularly in remote type environments or if you're reporting to a boss that might be in Singapore, for example, and you're sitting in Sydney, you have to be deliberate about the time that you create that sort of walk in the hallway uh, going to drink fountains, whatever, that just doesn't happen naturally. 
So that's a physical part. But then the flow onto that, which I've alluded to, the setting up of those conversations and having deliberate intent about connecting with people, you need to create opportunities to be vulnerable. You know, I love doing little exercises. And this is not soft stuff, not, not the fuzzy stuff, but having difficult conversations or challenging conversations with people, when you've got that built up of, of trust and vulnerability has, is proven to really accelerate the strength and the building of trust between people, doing exercise like that where people are really getting to know each other as people you know, what they stand for, uh, what they love doing, what their kids love doing, you know, what do they do on weekends, like you're going to go cycling after this, you know, people just having an understanding of what people do in their everyday life, that you start to understand people and those people that you're understanding, they start to believe and know that you know that they matter. And when people know that, you create connection, which then creates a really solid foundation for building much better cultures. It's certainly not the only source, but you build better cultures which leads to much better teamwork. That's interesting. I must admit I'm not a big fan of um, flex desk work and I know with the pandemic rules it's it's a lot harder these days to move move desks and you mm. obviously have to have maybe even more spacing than we've ever had. But the whole idea you don't have a home is, is it's probably an age thing as well. I didn't, I didn't grow up with that, mm-hmm. but I know I've worked in some organisations where you basically pack up your stuff at the end of every day and then you're guaranteed you, you're not actually not allowed to sit at that desk the mm. next day. And it's just obviously to meet new people and be flexible and agile in your thinking. But I think um, in some, for some personalities and, and including mine, it hasn't always been that fruitful. I've probably had a bit of anxiety about I'm going to end up sitting near the bathroom or the noisy dishwasher or something like that. So you get in, you get in crazy hours just to get the right desk. Yeah, it's, it, and certainly stories around that. I mean, it's interesting what creates anxiety for us, isn't it? But there's that level of of comfort. And again, if people are coming into environments like that, and I'm not sitting here and saying they can't work, but if you've got people that are feeling like that coming into their environment, then how can they be putting on, you know, putting their best efforts into the work that they're doing? It just it just doesn't correlate at all. So, you know, that psychological safety term that a lot of people out there use, I think Brene Brown is probably one of the, the leading users of it. It's so important for building trust, people feeling safe in their environment. And when they do that, there's a much greater chance that they're going to perform and they're going to be engaged in the work that they're doing, which means far better outcomes for organisations. Absolutely. Obviously, the recent pandemic has changed our office and workplaces, perhaps forever, perhaps not. We'll, we'll see. The jury's still out on that as a vaccine mm-hmm. rolls in and, um, and offices are sort of reopening again. What's gonna, this new normal going to mean for people? I mean, obviously, we have a remote workforce. We've all proven we can do it. But do people need to learn new skills as remote office players? One word, absolutely. The new skills is really important. And why do I think so? My experience over the last 12 months with my own clients uh, and certainly other conversations I have outside of that of people I'm not working with directly, it's a little bit like I refer back to the real estate market a bit. I also love love real estate. And when you think about real estate markets, the Central Coast is a great example at the moment. It's a strong market. You know, People moving from Sydney, living on the coast, wanting to buy rent on the coast. You actually don't need to be a very good real estate person to sell real estate on the Central Coast at the moment. And that's just the nature of the, the environment that we're in. Those that are very good real estate agents, they will sell property whether the market's favorable to them or it's a tougher market. Those that aren't great real estate salespeople, then they'll, they won't survive. They'll fall out of the market. Relating this back to the COVID situation, leaders, there are a lot of leaders out there in my humble opinion that 
did not have the disciplines needed around being leaders. They got away with it because everyone was in the office and conversations just happened that weren't deliberate. They weren't set up. So, you know, conversations in the hallway, um, you know, meeting people, having lack of clarity around things, all of a sudden other conversations were happening. So clarity became somewhat easier, I guess, to happen for those leaders that weren't being deliberate about some of the skills they need to have for leading and aligning people and growing teams and things like that. Well, bang, pandemic hit. All of a sudden, we had the remoteness factor. And I know stories where people have gone weeks and weeks and had no connection with their leader. I think, how can that be? Like, yes, people, people have an idea of what they're doing in their job, but how can they be aligned with what they're doing within their team? Are they actually in, indeed a team? That's a massive question in itself because, you know, organizations, we all talk about teams, but to be fair, most teams aren't actually teams in organizations. They're not actually even working towards anything as a collective. Like, they're just turning up, they're doing their job, they're operating a bit more of as a working group. They're not focused on achieving anything together. So this pandemic has really sorted out, I guess I can say to some extent, the men from the boys or the, you know, the women from the girls. Those leaders that had some discipline around how they interact with their team, being disciplined about even their one-on-ones they have with their group, um, setting intention about what we're trying to achieve as a team, getting alignment together as a group and as a team, and meetings come strongly into building alignment. If those disciplines weren't in place prior to pandemic, then well, it's extremely likely your team is being less functional and less productive as a result of the pandemic. doesn't mean they're not getting through work, but getting through work as a team and actually achieving something as a collective, a whole different story. It's going to be very interesting, I guess, it's watch this space as, as offices reopen and, and life might come back to some sort of semi-normality that we knew before a year ago. Sorry, I'd, I'd just say to the, where does the balance sit? Again, I, I can't see, I don't have a crystal ball, neither do you. I wish you know, I I'm did. I'm a big believer in this. <laughs> <laughs> it would be fantastic, right? But look, there's somewhere the balance will find itself and leaders in particular, they need to develop some skills that they haven't necessarily even thought about needing to develop um, prior to pandemic sort of stuff. But people being in offices, people being remote, I'm not a big believer that it needs to be all one or all the other. Somewhere there's a nice balance. We all live busy lives. We all want to have workplace flexibility and all those sorts of things at the moment. But one thing I do know to be true is that people crave that, that human to human connection. And Zoom or online tools and stuff like that, they can only manufacture that to some point, you know, that actually connect even the touch of a shoulder on someone and just, you know, people getting a real sense that their leader or their other teammates care about them. That is magnified when people make real connection face to face. Absolutely. So if you could have one song book or screen show that always makes your heart skip a beat, what would you choose and why? Oh, wow. I am one of the most least creative people I know. So when you think about song books, screen show, the thing that comes to mind straight away, and it's probably a bit boring because I do spend so much of my time within teams, is Holy Grail, Hunters and Collectors. Now, that's good. It, it's a great song. And sadly, well, sadly, again, this is just who I am, but that song brings so many great memories back from a. You know, the teams I played in, the, the football teams especially, and, and winning things. Thankfully, I've, you know, we won a few things together, but you know, that's that sort of image of that song and it always ends up in the dressing room, doesn't it, when you, when you win something. So it's, 
it's like the team, the group has come together and solved a major challenge, which is a big thing around team. You know, people come together around challenges. Um, winning a football match and you know, beating a team that is maybe better than you on paper, but coming together as a group and then this, you know, winning and then get to play a song like that. That's I wouldn't say it, I, my heart skips a beat, but it certainly brings back fantastic memories of success. That satisfies the question. I, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. <laughs> People often have one or two mentors. Sometimes there's more and they can be from your personal or professional spheres. Do you have a couple that come to mind and what have they taught you about success and life? I have a lot that come to mind and I'm a big believer around mentorship that it's really linked to timing in your life. I guess if I had to pick a couple for me, I can't go past my family and that's, that's not only my mum and dad who have been there right the way through but you know, my wife, my children, you know, they, they've made me who I am today. They've allowed me to be the person that I am today. They've allowed me to have a certain level of work ethic that consultants need to have. We, we don't work hard. We're, we're never going to get business. Uh, an element of, of common sense around people and understanding how human interaction is absolutely critical in my books, uh, but also a level of humility that, you know, I'm a big believer in this phrase, be humble or be humbled. So my family, my children every day, and I've got older kids now, 21 and 18, but, you know, they humble you every day. If there's any time where I start to maybe be a little bit less humble, they'll bring you down to earth very, very quickly. So on a personal level, that's that's really important to me. Uh, And my wife is, is a fantastic factor in that. And she's, I have to say, you know, when I first met my wife, Tracy, I was a bit of a lad. Um, you know, I love my football, as I've said before, and you know, I love to beer and stuff like that. And um, she's definitely helped me become a better man. Um, and kids have a big, big factor to do with that. If you don't become a better man qu- pretty quickly, you probably don't end up with a family. Absolutely. No, that's fantastic. On a work front, again, lots and lots of people come to mind. But I would say in my, my journey over the last three to five years, there's certainly a couple of gentlemen that have been um, heavily involved in just conversations I've been able to have with them. They've been very, very experienced consultants and I started to think about consultancy and building networks and developing some tools and models and and utilising different people's tools and models back in about 2012, 2013. So these gentlemen came into my life at a really great time and you know they taught me so much about helping people, consulting, some of the, I guess, the tricks of the trade, you could say, but from a, a good a good way. One of the key things that these gentlemen said to me is, Brendan, it doesn't matter what you do, but you need to make sure that you have a model or some clear definition about how you deliver your services. And when you have that, it doesn't matter what it is, but if you believe in that, if that's authentic with you, then you will attract the right people. And believe me, in my world, I think in our world, when you have that, um, it's amazing what a difference that makes. I think there's so many consultants out there and coaches and you know everyone's a coach or a life coach or whatever it is now. They have great intention, but they've got sort of nothing to back it up. And it doesn't matter if it's not theirs to back up, just find something that works for you, that resonates with you and get good at that, get good at applying that, understanding that, and then you'll develop some of your own stuff off the back of that experience. That advice has been unbelievably valuable in my own consultancy journey. And to wrap up this conversation today, what would be your final takeaway comment in the politics of offices? My final bit of advice, which is not something I've really mentioned, mentioned it once before, but it doesn't matter what level of the organisation you are. If you're leading a team, the biggest thing you can do 
to help reduce politics, people putting themselves ahead of the team, is to work with a team on challenging problems. If you can get that group that you're working with and leading and serving to really get committed and get passionate around a problem that they're trying to solve in the workplace. It could be directly related to their team, could be, could be related to some other interaction they're having in the organization. If you can start to get that sort of commitment and passion around a problem, it's amazing what can happen around the differences that just sort of fold away because they're so focused on working together and bringing, let's face it, the different perspectives, uh, the different experiences, the different skill sets together to overcome this challenge. If you do that and you really drive that and support that process as a leader, it is unbelievable the change in dynamics that can happen within a group, which can then flow on to other parts of the organization. It's been a great, rich and valuable conversation. I really appreciate your time, Brendan. If you do want to connect further with Brendan Rogers, there'll be some details of his LinkedIn profile and website on my show notes. You've been listening to The Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes. Until next time, keep well. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.